Welcome to the uh, ONTA talk number 10. Um, today we are very, very happy to welcome uh, Savia Sashi um, and Asha Menon, who will be in conversation around uh, the work of uh, Saviyashi, Savia Sashi, excuse me. And um, so I will just present very briefly our two, uh, our two guests. Um, um, Savia Sashi is a graduate from Srishti uh, um, Institute of Art, Design and Technology in Bangalore. Uh, you majored in, in film studies. Um, your graduation film is called Milelam Miyo, um, and it's about a community, uh, the Yimchunga community in the forest of Fakim in Nagaland. Um, and um, now you are or you were uh, in the master program of visual anthropology in Münster, but you just graduated, right? Or you handed over your, your thesis. Um, yeah, not yeah. officially graduated. Yeah. Ah, okay, okay, all right. Yeah. Let's keep the celebration for another moment. Um, but yeah, so Savia Sashi is a filmmaker, um, an artist, and now um, an anthropologist as well. And that's a great pleasure to have you around. And, and your contribution is, is, is very, very moving. And since the beginning of the, of the selection process, actually, you were really like moved. And, and we had this, uh, yeah, this, this very strong um, uh, impression uh, from the work. And we're super happy to, to, to be here with you and to discuss your work. Um, uh, today, you um, brought to the conversation Aksha Menon. Um, she is also uh, a filmmaker. Um, she's a researcher, she's a scholar, um, and um, she uh, studied filmmaking at Harvard Sensory Ethnography Lab and uh, documentary production at uh, New York University. Um, um, her, her research interest includes South Asian studies, which also makes, uh, which is also why she's there with you, uh, I suppose. This is weird, but maybe you will tell us the, the story of your, of your encounter. That's also important. Um, I would just mention one uh, movie, uh, Fire for Girls, an experimental documentary. Uh, Seta Savasrati, uh, Sony Akila Bharatiya Ashram uh, in uh, Dehradun in North India. Um, so I'm also, I would be thrilled to see the, this, this movie. I also didn't have the chance. Uh, and you're working now um, in a documentary project as well um, in a Buddhist nunnery. Um, and um, you are currently touch, teaching at, is it at Tuft University in Boston? Yes. Yeah. So welcome, welcome to this talk. We, we really, with Jen, we envision this, uh, as this, this series of talk as a space to uh, create a community, to resonate around these this works and, and to speak about anthropology and art. So I will give you the floor. Um, the rule here is that we want very short uh, inputs, basically. We try to limit the inputs to um, 10 minutes maximum for the contributor and 10 minutes maximum for um, the, the discussant so that we have more time for the discussion. And exactly at four, we'll close uh, at four for me, at, uh, at three for Jen. I don't know what time for you. What time is it, Savi? What time is it for you? It's 6.40 p.m. Yeah. yeah, so at seven, it's over. And for you, Asha, what time is it? 9.11 a.m. 9.11, all right. So, <laughs> good. Um, thank you very much, Savi. The floor is yours. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that wonderful introduction and um, the praise, which I don't really know if I deserve yet, but... Um, and also, I just wanted to say to Jen, I know you're going to leave, so best of luck with the vaccine and everything, and I hope to catch up with you later. 
Um, so I think we'll just start quickly because we have this strict timeline now. Um, okay. I have made many truths in my works and through my works. In my film from Fakim, a village in Nagaland in India, at first I explored the region, the people, culture, nature. I created a map, a framework that can guide me through the village, surveying parts of Fakim in an attempt to identify spaces, people, and their actions. An explorer, no less, stepping out into the unknown to map, survey, document, and capture, exploring the unknown, the uncharted territories. Exploration seems to have an inherent quality of stepping out to new lands, to acquire, label, claim, in a word, colonize. Have we not now arrived at the problem of knowledge? strewn before us, perhaps within us, in deep recesses we do not even know exist, is the task of ascription, of labeling, surveying, and documenting. The entirety of subjective being reduced to a set of qualities or faculties or other characteristics, creating a pale image. An image claiming certainty and truth by representing, documenting, and creating an archive. Albeit a visual archive, limiting one's sensibilities to vision as text or as an image. Guy Debord wrote about experience becoming a commodity and capital becoming an image. When the real world becomes real images and mere images are transformed into real beings, image processing allows the logic of exchange to erode social relations while producing mere representations. These representations create spectacles in our society for consumption, that is to quench the thirst of curiosity about the other, a relationship between people that is mediated by images, a truth claimed in its entirety. All the richness of subjective experience condense into a fixed wholeness, Perhaps the task we are undertaking here is to undo, or rather to put under question, these practices of fixity and neat categories brought about under a transcendent order, whether that is the colonial master or the market. Is this a decolonization or an acknowledgement of pre-colonization, of pre-colonized spaces and practices possible examples for the effects or intentions of decolonization. Exploring beyond text and image, beyond the faraway foreign lands, there is a tendency to look inwards, in the mirror or on the surface of a lake, at the self in different spaces, an explorer in their own lands, exploring the mapped, the surveyed, the already documented, an opportunity to traverse the charted, throwing up the possibility to remap, to repeat, to redefine the map and the self, to redefine truths, to redefine identities, in a way as to perform one identity, always in a flux, always being challenged while challenging. My nani, 
grandmother once said, I can write all these stories. Sorry, no, memories. She said, I can write all these memories. Making it into a story is your job. As a negotiation between the self and the other, a relationship between people that isn't mediated through images, but through a performance, a performance of the self with the other. Equally, is there something here of how we perform, how we represent, know, and understand? Does an ethical orientation to the performance of the self also entail an ethical orientation to the ways in which that performance is carried out? There are so many things that I want to show you all. I find very little substance and meaning in what I show. It's almost as if I lose everything that is shown out here. Each image and each idea are lost once dispersed in the wind. And in this season, during the summer, the wind travels westward to the lands of the visual. A possible way to challenge colonial sensibilities that rely on documents as proof, documents as texts and images, we look at storytelling, ritualistic practices, artistic and artisanal practices as performative methods in disseminating knowledge, revealing methods of communication that are beyond text and image, creating alternate spaces of sharing, disseminating, building and researching knowledge in methods beyond linear narratives as processes that are cyclical or rhizomic, moving between time and space, identifying seasonal changes that are restricted to geographical regions, a process through which knowledge can be contextualized to spaces in moments of time, not as truth eternal. A certain third space in the twisting of conventionally opposed images of philosophy and the everyday thought and performance, idea and sense, the ostensibly holy and profane. This talk, if you will prefer to call it that, is a performance of this approach, challenging the season and location, adapting over time, accommodating updates and revisions, another redefining in the performance of knowledge. Are truths made in this way too? Perhaps the intention is to not make truths at all, but listen and observe, creating perspectives through which possible claims of true and false can be assessed, challenged, and negotiated to develop an understanding between right and wrong, left and right. No straight lines, just a drunk person's walk down a street, swaying in the direction of the wind, and relying on the absence of balance and the presence of our inebriated mind with a fuzzy vision that sharpens the other senses, other sensibilities, challenging the hegemony of the visual. And this is the crucial point, an opening up, the, an opening up of the self to these multiplicities and heterogeneous modes of knowledge and so identification to not just respond to plurality, but to actually subsist in it, to see plurality as the condition of being and knowing, not just a precondition from which we must then emerge, to fold oneself with memories, stories, with visceral emotions, with multiplicities. This, for us, is the pre-colonized state of knowledge that we want to not acknowledge or not explore, not study, not analyze. Um, 
perhaps it would be an attempt at enabling the wind to change directions. Thank you very much. Is this um, the end of the of your paper, or is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the end of my bit, and now we had planned to do a small conversation between mm -hmm. Harsha and me before we sort of open it up for the audience. I hope we're sticking to the time, but the idea was to try and tell a story because I didn't want to work with text and image in the way that we as filmmakers or anthropologists or artists as you use these terms to define me do um but yeah uh, i i would hand it over to harsha super i just have a short question how did you guys meet where what is the how this yeah just at a conference or at a film festival Ah, okay. Which one? You can tell the story. Oh, okay. Uh, no, we, we actually met at the Freiburger Film Forum in Germany in 2019. They were showing one of my films there. And, and I think Harsha and I sort of bonded while we were kind of bitching about one of the films that we did not enjoy. So, <laughs> what do you don't like about the movie? Tell us. <laughs> um, I don't know if we should go there in this recorded uh, conversation. <laughs> but we want the juicy parts. We want the juicy parts. <laughs> okay. I think we. I think we were thinking about representation, and what the performance just suggested, which is this idea of this truth claim and the authority of the truth claim. And so for our discussion today, we wanted to kind of unpack the performance for a few moments, just to go a little bit deeper into some of the suggestions. So if we could start now, that would be fantastic. Yeah, of Great. course, please. Thank you. And thank you for having me here. Um, Savisachi, I feel this performance is both a critique and an aspiration. It's a critique of the field and of that kind of knowledge production that comes from the explorer um, heroic <clears throat> image. And then it moves into this aspiration of what it could be if we take a different lens and in taking that different lens, we can even turn it on ourselves and our own subjectivities, which is often ignored in the scientific project because we claim an objectivity of a truth claim. So I'm wondering if you could start with talking about shifting the lens and foregrounding your own subjectivity in the process. Mm. I mean, it's, uh, it's quite interesting to me to sort of like reflect on my own self in my works because it was a shift that sort of came naturally from one of my films where I experienced this sort of like immense power that we carry with ourselves when we enter spaces and this sort of need to document this life and in a sense like preserve it for others to be able to see before it's lost and this idea that um, that that's the state in which 
people reside, you know, but there has been a process through which they have arrived there. And there is a process with which they will arrive at something else in the following months and years and so on. And so it became quite interesting to sort of position myself there because I sort of see that in in a similar way as to how my work will evolve and how my life will evolve. And, and this sort of distinction between being a nomad in this sense of like being a filmmaker, anthropologist, traveling to different parts of the world and India and doing work and being a nomad in, in a far more sort of like rural space where um, you have to travel because your profession demands it too. And because the seasons and climates demand demanded too, and and so it became this sort of like an interesting point of reflection to juxtapose or also to sort of collaborate on these sort of similar methodologies in that we apply in our lives, and not methodologies in terms of research, but methodology in terms of how we sort of structure and like visualize our lives and how we intend to create work and whether we see our work to be distinctly different from our lives and and that's I suppose a point at which I felt like I couldn't really just point a camera at someone else and shoot like I have to sort of uh, acknowledge where this person pointing the camera also comes from and I think that most films are able to do that and it's not necessary that I have to sort of physically place myself in front of the camera, but there can be different ways in which we sort of acknowledge this, of course. And one of the ways that we see that um, manifesting is, and you mentioned the, the colonial project of gathering and documenting and mapping, and that itself is an authorizing process, mm -hmm. right? We see that, like we've talked about even with citizenship and papers, people that don't have that paper that's, that ID, right? So mm -hmm. that's part of this mapping colonial kind of control. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about going from that colonial mapping, which can be with a camera, you know, in, in any way that knowledge production comes in the anthropological process, how you see it moving from that trajectory to, I'm very interested in this pre-colonial image that you're suggesting in the performance. So we can go from actually a colonizing discourse to this move of looking at something that could be pre-colonial, which risks being sort of a pure state, but I, I don't think that's what you mean. So I'd like to hear more about what you mean by that pre-colonial gesture. Yeah, I mean, in, in one sense, it's, it's kind of like an empty gesture because you're right that it doesn't really exist, but it's, it's about sort of, it's sort of about like leading to that question of like how far back are we really willing to go and even when we're talking about decolonization it's a lot about sort of deconstructing systems of order and so on that are in place but but like where does that take us like does it take us back to how does it take india back to how it was before the british arrived but then we would have to talk talk about India before the mughals arrived and then india before the aryans arrived and then and and so like where does this really sort of end and and i and i have a distinct sort of like problem with this idea of colonization being limited to the white and the rest 
And I think that that creates a far more problematic space to operate from than really like helping us resolve issues and problems. Because I don't think that colonization as a process and as a methodology really ended before, after the British left. And it's not something that began when the British arrived. I think that that's an ongoing process and and we're still colonizing different communities and different parts of India as, as a people. Like we, I am still sort of actively contributing to that in some way or the other. And so the idea to sort of talk about this pre-colonization is, I mean, in, in a sense, it's kind of like a provocation to essentially like really hint at the fact that there is really no like going back in any sense and sort of mitigating a relationship or understanding through which we can discover or sort of redefine systems that are already in place that can be far more inclusive and sort of decentralize power as much as possible. I think that's where it's very helpful to bring in some of both our influences of Homi Baba's influences about the liminality of identity. Um, however, it's important what you were saying is to acknowledge that there's still the power dynamics. Mm. So if we look at the intersection of the coloner and the colonized and say it could be a liminal space, it also produces and could reproduce a kind of power dynamic. So I think that needs to be qualified rather than making a, a larger, which, which you're not doing, but I think it's important to acknowledge as we, as we move through um, the interrogation of these new paradigms of knowledge production for anthropology and art, it's still important to foreground those power dynamics because if not, it can erase very painful um, histories that are still resonating today, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like we really have to bring uh, a lot of sensitivity when we speak of these issues. And, and then when it comes to the idea of liminal spaces, I think that it becomes quite interesting in a sense, because I mean, when, when we're talking about like India specifically and looking at this context, I, I mean, there really isn't such a liminal space that would have existed at some point when the borders were drafted and when the British left and when independence sort of happened, or claimed to have happened, there wasn't really a liminal space between India and Pakistan. It was just one space. And, and so this idea that this liminal space exists now is something that we are sort of projecting onto it, right? And I think that if we sort of look at how these borders work, then it's sort of like very fluidly moves from Sindh to Rajasthan and Sindh to Gujarat and then from Gujarat and Rajasthan into Madhya Pradesh and, and it's and it's and it's a gradient of sorts, right? And and so it I'm not really sure if if I really want to advocate for a certain thing here because I know that everyone's experiences of it are very different. Like my grandparents' experiences being like Pakistani Hindus to have come here after partition or like someone else's experience of having gone on the other side can be extremely traumatic. And I don't mean to sort of belittle that in any which way, but at the same time, I feel like this this distinction that we are trying to create here is something that we're projecting onto it. And I think that there's some merit in trying to sort of recognize that as a non-border altogether. Um, I don't know if this really answers your question, but um, it's something that 
I think we all have to collectively acknowledge, at least to begin with, that we don't really know. We don't really understand how to process this um, instead of sort of making definitive claims about whether this is right, that is wrong, and so on and so on. I, I, I think that answer is really beautiful because that circles back to that foregrounding of the subjectivity in the process. It's not only subjectivity, but it's foregrounding the subjectivity of who's looking, right? Mm. I'm also very mindful of the time. So I have so much more to say, Maxime. I don't know if it's time to- I know but you, you can still take the, the floor later. We, I think it would be very nice to open a little bit to, um, to other people here. We have so many interesting comments always. Um, and we have also uh, our regulars, Janine Madeleine has joined, Pekka is there. Um, Gabriele, also Pamela, and people that we haven't seen for a few sessions. So uh, this is also the meaning of this, that we can, that we create relations. And first of all, thank you very much. And I would like to emphasize that this, this, yeah, this area of like not being comfortable about anything is very characteristic of anthropology, right? You're trying to find a kind of truth, but in the same time, you're, and yeah, you're, you're, you're um, revealing that there is no such thing. And in the same time, there is some kind of situated uh, knowledge that is there and that you can feel is the truth for you, but you also want to claim something more, right? You want to do something that that goes beyond you, and you want to do it with with the community, and not only with your academic peers. And that's mm -hmm. what is really touching about what you're doing with your grandfather and grandmother is that you you take those people who are on the on the on the verge, or they are like kind of. A, it's kind of beings or existences that are slowly fading away and, and you want to take them back, take their hand and say, hey, come on, let's keep you in the process, right? We, we're done, yeah. done with this story of figuring out. And this is a very rich process of that, that, that is also kind of a family process, but that most people don't do as, as consciously as you do and as maybe systematically as you try to do it. And as yeah. by systematic, I don't mean that you're trying to get a system on, I mean, you're trying to do it like uh, with all your, the might of your uh, methodological power. And that is, that is super beautiful. Um, but I would like to open the floor to questions as well. This was just a, a comment. Um, so please, if you have any question, you can put a C or a Q in the, uh, in, in the chat uh, or just uh, speak up. Yeah, I like a bit of silence as well. Silence is good. Yes, Janine Madeleine. Please. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much, much Safia Sachi. I'm, I hope I pronounced this rightly. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and Hashi too, it was a, a very nice presentation. And also, uh, I like this uh, Q&A between the both of you. It was really uh, very interesting to, to watch. Um, I think this idea of uh, the relationship between image and so-called reality or truth or this kind of objective thing that might be some somewhere out there is really interesting. And I was wondering how you would uh, take this concept uh, or how would you conceptualize your work in relation to this thing out there? Because I think many people who are working with film or images are talking about uh, some kind of representation others maybe about transformation. So I think, uh, how, how can you capture this interaction between this image that you create and that what was there before? Mm. I mean, in, I don't know, it's, it's really, it's of course like 
quite something to think about and i don't know if there's really like one answer that fits all it's not i don't think that it's a one size fits all kind of relationship that you can really have with this but but one thing that i strongly believe in is that the film sort of needs to have a journey of its own and it needs to sort of like have a life of its own and and i think that we have to sort of move away from wanting to like control the narrative of that you know there's like um i think robert bresson at some point has said that like film lives three lives and and the first life is when you are filming like when you're actively filming and using the camera and the second life is when you bring it to the edit table because it completely changes and you sort of restructure things you move things around and you like play with the timeline itself and so it's a different life that you create and the third life which is absolutely important and sort of needs to be left alone is the life that it lives when it's projected for people to view and the life that it creates for them you know so i feel like there is some merit to that in terms of like anthropological study as well because i think that it becomes very important to sort of let the work speak for itself to some extent and not necessarily sort of theorize around visual works in the way that i see a lot of films doing in this very sort of expository sense and 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 so it, for me i think that that's the way in which i would go about it maybe at least at this stage in my process and yeah Yeah, thank you very much. I think it's a very important discussion the, around multimodality in general at the moment. Also, the fact that <clears throat> these materials and this way of doing things are not just an aesthetic decision in the end of the process, because it's going to trigger just the, 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 very, much, the very way you will look at things and engage with every situation, just because you are um, committed into this kind of <laughs> play with with things and just letting things happen as they could and let the project drive you and this is also something that is i believe very interesting and much beyond any kind of representational act that 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 we wanted to do at some point the, the moment like the the documentary in the, in the most canonical form of i know something and i want to show you what it is so i documented it mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and uh, and the notion of document and like, the, the work around the notion of the author uh, this has brought a lot of, of of new interesting energies in this debate and also in the production um, i was also very curious in what, what does it change for you to kind of switch or to and to enrich like you would enrich your and your maybe your this 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 way of doing things with um anthropology because you had already the toolbox from film studies what does it change what does it change yeah it's actually quite funny because when i made the works that i did i didn't think of anthropology i mean i don't think i knew of anthropology really in the way that we see it and i understand it now and um and it was quite interesting to see that transition because in a sense the work sort of steered me towards anthropology but as soon as i started to study anthropology i felt more and more that it was sort of relying heavily on a lot of textual information and i wanted to move away from that as much as possible so i feel like i'm always sort of dissenting against what 
I am being exposed to. And um, but but it's an interesting process in which I have actually come to this understanding where I don't wish for my work to remain this sort of like product oriented uh, approach. Like I don't wish to create anymore. Uh, if I have to, I will, but I don't really wish to do it anymore. I just, I just wish to sort of meet with people and spend time by myself and read and reflect and, and just sort of live as, as people in Kalap or people in Fakim live, you know, and sort of get food on my table and go to sleep at night and yeah, and watch the weather change. But, but when it comes to sort of creating work, it, I, I, I want to sort of be far more process oriented and sort of spend time uh, on the same body of work with the same information with the same images with the same sounds with the same people and as long as possible before I have to sort of meet my deadline <laughs> thank you very much just as a comment I think we have a question from Nika maybe she, I, I hope she will uh, ask it herself I just was thinking of a, a reference by like the book of Michael Tosik on I swear I saw this. There is this moment mm -hmm. where, in which he says, yeah, you have to kind of absorb yourself into, into theory and analysis so much that at, at, there is a moment when you have this kind of Zen-like moment of mastery of non-mastery. <laughs> I think it will sp speak to both of you very in the context of um, Indian philosophy as well. Yeah. Of this kind of, what is this? What is yeah. this? making and like there is action and there is non-action and there is this moment where you can kind of disengage and i feel this is something that i like throughout the training at some point you have to kind of uh, again just uh, do something else that is actually true to your heart in a certain way very kitschy mm -hmm. way of expressing this um but in a certain way you, you get back to this and unfortunately also the training is so thorough that lots of people get broken and cannot do this anymore so there mm -hmm. is kind of understanding of how to keep this alive in the pedagogy also education of anthropologists at the moment and through art mm -hmm. well it can be very powerful um and actually the question of nika was very much relating to this as well the the uh, Nika, would you ask your question yourself? That would be amazing, um, if that's okay. Oh, not, I, I think okay. she's not, she's yeah. not, well, yeah. Okay. I um, can ask a question. So um, how has your way of working, thinking, connecting, changed with incorporating writing? How does it have informed your work with the visual? Mm. Yeah, I mean, in, in one sense, you have begun to understand text as visual, as, as visuals itself as well. Like it's, it's an image that we see, but we have a different, um, like we have a different training in terms of how we read it, as opposed to how we read images otherwise. And, and so it's really far more finding the right image to express what I wish to in a way and so I don't really want to look at text and image so separately anymore and that's why like sound becomes interesting because sound is like it kind of moves away from that formally altogether and 
that's why this sort of little experiment with not having my face and not sending out a text to do the reading performance talk thing. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I don't really see text as being different from visuals or images. And, and it's just so much more about us sort of like learning to read into vision uh, images as well or as much as we learn to read into text. Um, and I think it requires a different sort of training to do that. I don't know. <laughs> the question of sound is very, very interesting as well as a kind of way of completely changing the focus, right? And this is something very important in, in video. We have Gabriele, he says that he's walking around. I can imagine that he has <laughs> sound, the soundscape of the, of the talk uh, plus the soundscape of outside. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that's also a contribution. Thank you, Gabriele, for telling us about your experience of this talk. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's really, that's really quite, quite meaningful. And and I mean, it, it also worked in one sense because we are thinking of publishing these talks as podcasts, you know, and then to sort of work with visuals would have become um, in one sense limiting for the audience that is not physically present here in this moment. And so how do we sort of mitigate that as well? I mean, it's not that this has to be done because of the podcast, but it sort of worked in this way as well, I feel. Mm -hmm. um yeah but uh one thing that i just quickly wanted to say also was i don't know i think that it answers a couple of questions or points was to do with this idea of like how how do we sort of work now or how is it that i see visuals or these things to be incorporated into my practice or what to do with text or anything really and what uh, janine also asked earlier and and I just think that it becomes quite regressive to sort of figure out a formula with which we create work. And I think that happens quite a bit in, in with everyone really. And I don't know if it's conscious or subconscious. I'm, I'm sure there are lots of layers to it, but, but it, it's often what I observe with writers or with also filmmakers or academicians. And it's like you read the first book and if you follow it in the right chronological order you start to sort of predict the way it's going to move like how the narratives are going to be structured and with film it's the same way you create this sort of type set of like okay this is how this person's work is always going to be and so on and I feel like these formulas become like regressive ways in which we actually create work because we try to like sort of apply the same methodology into each and every sort of space and topic and community and people that we work with. And I don't think that that really works for me personally. So I like my orientation or intention is to really sort of, I mean, and that's why I think it requires more time and this process oriented work is important to look at in this way because then we can really sort of devise a new methodology for each body of work that we create. And that can be very liberating, at least how I see it. At the moment, I'm, I'm really wondering how it has changed over the years. And actually with us, we have Pekka today, who is a very experienced filmmaker. And, and I was wondering, are we saying the same things that we we're already saying 15 years ago? And uh, 
That, that's, a, that's a very good question, right? <laughs> but <laughs> even if the context is different, I don't know if Pekka wants to say a word about this, but his, his, his project is also about com comparing, like, would you, for example, consider doing what Pekka is doing and doing in, in 10 years, filming again, or is it just, uh, um, and with a completely different angle also, or? I'm not so sure. Actually, I would I would have loved to have Pekka say something, but it's not so easy to <laughs> to, to trigger people um, over these long distances that we are trying to 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 get uh, over. Yes, Savi. No, I, I I hope that Pekka does say something at some point, but until then, I think that it's. I, I love repeating stories, to be completely honest. And I think that it, it's kind of this tendency that I've also gotten accustomed to because I'm like spending lots of time with my grandmother and it's something that older people tend to do also, you know, just kind of like say the same thing over and over again, irrespective of whether someone else has understood it and already knows it. And, and it's like this sort of beautiful way of just saying what you wish irrespective of whether the other person knows it or doesn't know it but it's kind of reiterating it in your own mind and and I love the repetitive repetitive sort of quality of that and so if you spend too much time with me I suppose I would have told you all the stories and then we'll retell you them at some point again and again so yeah like you like your nanny probably did right you were speaking <laughs> yeah yeah, Pekka is on, on camera now. Um, well, actually, uh, this is kind of non-comment because I think that the, uh, the field you are working and I feel very related, but actually in this short time, I'm just trying to figure out how you are kind of approaching this kind of mundane world and how is it the same as I am doing, or is it different? And uh, that's why I, I feel it very, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say, you know, direct comment about your work yet, because this is too short time for me to relate what you, but you can just continue and I try to catch up. <laughs> That's what we hope to do over the next month. Yes. I mean, this yeah. is also the process that we are into. Yeah. I mean, what happens in September? Maybe we, we keep on for another year. Yeah, I think this is preparing us for that because yeah. I, I feel most of these sessions that actually my questions comes when we stop the <laughs> meeting. <laughs> yeah, because we do this very short uh, yeah, yeah. session. Which but is a, anyway, I mean, it's it, it kind of, it's a seed that it's 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 here yes. and um yeah well you can i will catch up okay <laughs> <laughs> catch up later anyone else would like to express one of the germination of a seed maybe of a previous session or of this session um would be really lovely to hear from you um maybe i don't know gabriele you were working you you offered to get us to listen to the seagulls but maybe you have also a thought or Something that would. Uh, um... Yes. No. Sorry. I already walked past them, and now it's it's quite noisy. So I, I can contribute only a helicopter or something. 
<laughs> Good. Um, but yeah, maybe regarding to the, regarding the sound as well, because there is also this question of what, how do you do the like? Is is sound a way that you could like position in opposition to the visual, maybe to access to a kind of different way of doing this thing that we're all trying to do with words, with <laughs> with video, with images, with with sound. Um, but that's an open question, I guess, for us all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I just wanted to say that I, I really appreciated uh, the spoken word uh, element of this talk that maybe was emphasized because I can't really look at the screen and I'm just walking around and listening, but it was really uh, was a pleasure to listen sometimes just not watching any slides or anything. Yeah, yeah thanks. I, I, I hope that we can also listen to you at some point without needing to see the seagulls and i think that it's that's what's kind of like wonderful about it is that i can already sort of like hear them without having to actually hear them you know it's like when you write it in the chat box it already gives me cues with which like my own training sort of allows me to listen to the sounds or like when you mentioned helicopter I don't know if anyone heard it but I heard it and I don't know if it was really there or not but it's this sort of training that you have which sort of enables you to visualize things or like even I don't know like vocalize things as soon as you have these cues and these sort of hints towards it and and I think that playing with that is can be quite interesting because um sort of releases also like unearth so many um chemical connections that are happening in our heads and uh makes us like conscious about our subconscious in a way um, absolutely so we're coming to a close. Uh, maybe Arsha, you, I'm sure you you still have some some good uh, questions to close, or um, a combination of a comment and a question, probably, um, because I know that you've been working to sharpen up your question, and you still have some in reserve. So uh. I was really taken by the line in the performance of when your grandmother said that it's now your, you'll take my story and then making it a, making that story is your job. I'm curious if you could comment about that idea of your grandmother acknowledging that this is your profession. She's still having intimate exchanges with you, but yet she's recognizing that you're a professional and you're making art and you're using anthropological methods. And so I think that's a really, interesting sort of nuanced comment that you chose to include and maybe you could talk a little bit about that mm. yeah it's uh i mean it's it's interesting to also try and like explain this exploration of the self to my grandmother in a way because there is there is this exchange this quality of exchange that exists here as opposed to uh, when we work with like typical informants that are in their own spaces and it's it's more of like a one-way street um, but here because of the relation that we share like as a family but also the relationship that we have built over time to some extent 
um, it becomes quite a challenge to really like explain to her what it is that I really do. And, and in that framework, it's quite interesting because at points she has these like moments of pride in when I am like sharing a film that, that is going to a festival or when I'm doing a talk like this. And if I inform her about it, there is this sort of inherent, like, oh, okay, you're doing something and keeping busy and, you know, um, being active. And, and then there are moments when I'm just sort of reflecting and sitting at home all day, reading a book or watching films back to back or just meeting friends and colleagues. And then it's really like, what is it that you're really doing? You know, and, and this sort of inability to, uh, for me, I mean, this inability for me to be able to explain uh, how this works is quite challenging because um, at first I thought that this challenge only exists when I go to a village where there are people from completely different contexts, you know, and, and then to experience that at home was a very new thing in a sense of like, oh, okay, right. So, so this kind of artistic practice or is something that doesn't always like naturally come or cannot necessarily be like explained it's like if I picked up a paintbrush tomorrow and started to paint on canvas they would really be like what are you thinking of doing like are you changing professions now you know and it's like no but this is all part of my exploration and so it's uh, it's really quite eye-opening in a sense to have like worked with my own family in this case, because it sort of reveals the fact that we're constantly creating this power dynamic that we have exposure and we come from all this knowledge and blah, blah, blah. And we go to these villages to document what they have, but they don't have this kind of exposure. But then when you start to work with your own family, you're sort of revealed to this new space of like understanding where you're like, oh, right. So this exposure is not something that's distinctly present or not present in certain geographical spaces, but it's something that comes through active research and active like involvement and participation. And I think that that's something far more um, like realistic to some degree than, than the kind of like truth claims that we were speaking of and before and of the kind of power dynamic it sort of uh, affects when we go to film in like rural parts. When I go to film in rural parts of India, I don't know if this is making sense to everyone, but I hope it wasn't just shots in the dark. Thank you very much, Tavik. We have a, a last comment of Pekka. I think that would be the concluding remark. Um, yeah, so actually, yeah, this um, that you are telling your grandmother's stories and the parents. So I my situation has been complete opposite because that was kind of a dead end road to the parents and grandparents. Uh, well, with, with my grandmother, it would have been, but I wasn't filming at that time yet. So my way has been always to my ch children and mm -hmm. kind of listening to their stories. And because that was the open road for me, actually. And uh, now I think that um, it still goes on, even though they are adults. And uh, 
Uh, then I another remark was that um, uh, how this this type of everyday material can be seen in, uh, in very different ways. Just you know, if you have the sound on or sound off, or if last time it was that I was showing uh, this project now that I will have three um, the three decades at the same time, and she got quite confused even though she knew the material because she was watching like this close and trying to see what they are doing there. But then we <laughs> do it the second time and she was watching from a me one meter. And actually yeah. then she understood because she was not following the, you know, the, uh, let's say the content, but see mm -hmm. what, what is happening in between the pictures and the life that was going on. So, so it's kind of a, a lot of fun to play with the material mm -hmm. because, and also, you know, just by putting yourself in a different uh, position with the material, mm -hmm. you, you find different things. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And that's really nice to know about this experience because it, um, in one sense, it's, it's also like liberates the material itself, you know, then yeah. it doesn't, then it doesn't carry this sort of burden to communicate this set of information and, and it can easily become a trigger for you to create your own sort of stories and narratives around it. Yeah, and it starts to speak to you, actually, the material, because yeah. yeah. it doesn't have one message, because mm -hmm. it's not planned, I mean, it's, it's not scripted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a wonderful way to close um, the plurality of the, like <laughs> getting exposed to the plurality of the of the material as a fundamental uh, a characteristic of it, a feature that makes it speak in many, many different ways to you uh, in different contexts. Mm -hmm. So I would like to thank again, um, Arsha Menon to join us today. Thank you so much for being such a perfect discussant <laughs> and a great guest. Thank you so much, Savi Asashi, for your implication on the projects in the beginning. Thank you so much to our regulars, um, Pekka, Janine Madeleine, Gabriele, Francisca, for all the good work of uh, the, the design and coordination. She's, they are doing a great job in, in, in Lisbon. Um, Pamela is there. So thank you all of you for joining. And um, so we uh, the podcast will be soon on, online. And uh, so we'll get uh, we'll be soon again together for the next uh, talk, which actually I don't remember who is the next, but we will let you know through the, um, the, the usual um, ways. Thank you very much, all of you again. And uh, I wish you a wonderful day. Me too. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Oh.